Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome. I'm glad that you have joined us for this episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm in the studio with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Pastor, I want to start out the program this evening with a question that we had come in via WhatsApp from Antigua earlier in the day. The question is, do you think it is honoring to Jesus, who is the cause for Sunday worship, to replace him with topics of the world like homosexuality, drugs and sex, etc., instead of simply studying the Word of God and preaching the gospel? Let me um, respond to the um, person who's made that query. Uh, We're not trying to replace Christ. We're not trying to replace Jesus. What we are trying to do is to give biblical answers to issues that are currently in the public sphere. And there's so much misunderstanding, misrepresentation, and in some cases, the endorsement of practices that the Bible clearly uh, abominates. So all we're trying to do, basically, is, is trying to give biblical answers to issues that people are faced with. This is not designed to be a Bible study. Uh, it's not designed to be a, a preaching uh, session. It is really designed to, to deal with contemporary issues and things of great concern to society and to the Christian. So we feel that issues like Uh, homosexuality, um, same-sex marriage, um, transgenderism, um, abortion, uh, evolution. We think that these are topics that um, the Christian voice needs to be heard because a lot of people follow these um, false ideas, uh, not having a handle on how to respond to them and not understanding uh, in many cases that the Bible does provide some solid answers to these problems. The church is supposed to be uh, give light and to be salt. Salt is supposed to hold down corruption. Light is supposed to direct and to guide. So in a society where there's so much confusion on these moral issues, it's the responsibility of the church to try to provide some answers so that people would have some clarity and understand that we don't move away from a biblical foundation and a biblical teaching. We hold to those things and we don't surrender on these moral issues. What about on a Sunday morning service? Well, in a Sunday morning service, that depends. Um, uh, I have an occasion... um, preach on the subject of, of homosexuality uh, from, the, from the biblical perspective. In other words, uh, pre- that's what preaching is, by the way. Uh, if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, 
any subject that is mentioned in Scripture is 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 there for the pastor to deal with and try to provide answers. So in in a in a situation where the society is thinking of perhaps legalizing uh, burglary, legalizing homosexuality, perhaps even legalizing same-sex marriage in the future, it's the responsibility of the church. The church is the moral conscience and voice of a society. And we need to speak to these issues. So it's not improper for a pastor to do an expository uh, presentation on a subject like homosexuality and trace it to the Bible and explain why God has abominated it, why this is wrong, and provide some, some solid biblical answers. So I don't find that to be improper. Every Sunday, it comes back to Christ. Even after you've dealt with the uh, any abomination, any sin, uh, I've been doing a series recently on, on, on different problems on Sunday night. Uh, we've dealt with um, such things as anger, uh, resentment. Uh, but again, we don't exclude Christ by dealing with those subjects. We always come back to the fact that any of those particular issues, the answer to those issues really is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So while we're dealing with the topic, we're not at the same time replacing him. As a matter of fact, we are giving him central place to show that he is the answer to all of these issues. Thank you for that question, and I trust that that answer was helpful to you. Pastor, last week we ran out of time, and we were talking about the topic of tongues. Why is it so important that we look at Acts chapter 2 when discussing tongues? Well, um, if we're going to deal with any doctrine in the Bible, you've got to begin with what is called the first mentioned principle in, in hermeneutics or interpretation. Uh, wherever there is a doctrine where it's introduced in the Bible, it sets the, the standard or the norms and it creates the context by which you can understand that doctrine or that teaching. So if we have a problem, an issue of tongues today, the proper place to start with it is to go to where it originally started so that we can define what it is and understand what it is all about because there must be some level of consistency in our interpretation. We can't take the book of Acts where tongues is first mentioned and then the book of Corinthians, where it's also mentioned, and suggests that in one case it's human language, and the other one is dealing with aesthetic speech. There has to be a consistent, the same word is used in both places, and it's the same gift of the Holy Spirit. So it can't mean one thing in one passage and mean something else in another. And that's why I think it's important in, in trying to understand this, this doctrine and this teaching that we go to where it was originally demonstrated and practiced. And uh, that lays the foundation for us to have an understanding of what is meant in Corinthians chapter 14. That's why I did not attempt to answer the well, I tried to avoid answering the question uh, last time about Corinthians chapter 14 because I knew we would have to come to that. But I think once the foundation laid in Acts chapter 2, I believe that the answer to the questions in Corinthians chapter 14 would become uh, more clear and more transparent. I would like to, to also say that um, we as Christians must not be naively um, credulous and believe everything. Can you define credulous for me? <laughs> in other words, very naive and, and, and accepting of everything anybody says. Okay. Uh, we have to be very discerning, and we, we are told to test the spirits. Uh, we're told to judge all things. We're told to um, approve all things. And we must maintain a healthy skepticism about any claim to supernatural or, or preternatural experiences because the ultimate test is not the human experience. The ultimate test is the Scriptures. Everything must be looked through from the Scriptures. That must be brought to bear upon any any experience that people may have. As I pointed out to uh, in the last 
discussion we had on this matter of tongues, the, the, the reason why it should concern us to really discern why what this really is and to properly understand it is because uh, we must understand that tongues is not unique to the Christian faith. I keep emphasizing that. Um, you people, uh, the people who are involved in voodooism have a similar experience. The American Indians have a similar experience. Uh, there are certain Muslim uh, groups that also have a similar experience. Uh, and then the um, in Corinthians, uh, if you study the book of Corinthians and if you have a, a proper commentary, commentary, they would mention that the Oracle of Delphi was not very far from Corinth. That was one of the phenomenal things that were happening that attracted people to tongues because uh, that oracle, uh, that person would go into some kind of aesthetic speech and lose control and uh, was supposed to be communicating what the gods were saying. Uh, And remember that these Corinthians came out of paganism. And Paul warns when he starts to deal with the whole matter of the gift of tongues, uh, he talks about no man by the call of Jesus Christ a curse uh, by the Spirit of God. And the reason, of course, he did that is because there's a danger of um, saying things without knowing what they mean, not understanding that there are demonic powers trying to imitate the real thing. And that's the real danger today, I think, as far as Christianity is concerned. So we need to be very careful about that. Pastor, what does Acts chapter 2, how does it explain tongues? How does it define them? Well, if we come to Acts chapter 2, where we have the initial experience of speaking in tongues, uh, you find that uh, Peter explains um, what this is all about. In, in verse number four, for example, uh, he said, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what really happened there is that when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, where all believers from then on would be baptized into the body of Christ, there was a sign gift. Uh, and that that particular sign gift was the, the capacity of the persons who did not learn the language to be able to communicate that language to others who were there at Pentecost. We'll come to that very shortly to show you that at Pentecost, um, you had Jews and visitors from all over the world. As a matter of fact, we will discover in, in, in verse number 9 that there is a list of 16 different countries with dialects and, and, and languages um, if I might give you a rundown of those that are mentioned in uh, verse number 9, he says there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians, people from Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, strangers from Rome, uh, proselytes, Christians, and Arabians. If you were to number those, you'll find that there are 16 different regions, which would include several different languages. And in verse number 11, um, he says, uh, We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So here are people from 16 different regions of the world. Uh, they're all there for this Jewish feast called Pentecost. And uh, they are hearing the apostles speak distinctly in their particular language. And they can understand what Peter and the others are saying because they're hearing what is called the wonderful works of God. And you will later discover when Peter gives an explanation as to what these wonderful, this wonderful work of God was, it was really the work about redemption. Uh, Peter would later in this passage 
in trying to explain the events. He will point the speaking of tongues on what they heard to the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, that he was both Lord and Christ, and that this was a sign uh, that uh, t- to the unbelieving who were there, that this was a new work of God that would be- had begun on Pentecost. And remember the church began officially on the day of Pentecost. There was no church previous to Pentecost. God dealt with the Jewish people under the old dispensation. Now under the new dispensation, he was creating a new entity. Jesus had said in Matthew to Peter that he would build his church. The church began to be built in um, Acts chapter 2. This is when the all-believing individuals were now united into the body of Christ, which is the church. So this was something new and novel. And like everything that God begins, uh, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, a new movement, there's always some signs or uh, that demonstrate to authenticate and to uh, uh, vindicate what is happening there. And that's exactly what took place on the day of Pentecost. So you're saying there in Acts 2 it was a known language. It wasn't a heavenly language. Well, I'm not saying that. Peter's saying that. Okay. Right? Uh, with, with that in mind, and the fact that it was used for furthering the gospel and explaining the gospel, that goes counter to, is it true to say that that goes counter to everything that we're hearing about the modern tongues movement? And that's why, that's why it bothers me personally, and it should bother other persons as well. Uh, how we've taken what Paul calls the least of all the gifts. Now, if you read, when we come to Corinthians, you'll see that Paul mentions gifts, and he mentions them first, second, and in order, and the last one is always tongues. How have we now elevated what Paul considered the least of all the gifts to such a prominent place in the church, and we are now encouraging believers uh, to go after it, and that if they do not have this experience, somehow they're missing out on the second blessing, or somehow they're second-class citizens. I think that this has emboldened a lot of e- egos, and I think that just like in the Corinthian church, where they were acting with great carnality, and Paul is saying, you know, this is not a sign of maturity, it's a sign of carnality. I think this is where we are in the infant. The church has now returned to a state of infancy, where it is, it, it wants... Um, Emotion, it wants pyrotechnics, it wants something supernatural. Uh, and I think in the process, it is really acting very infantile. I've been to one of these churches when I was in Barbados, I was invited to go to the People's Cathedral. Now, I don't, I'm not going to knock the People's Cathedral, please. I'm not trying to do that because I thought Holmes Williams did an excellent job for many, many years. But I remember being invited by a friend to attend the church, and I attended. And I remember distinctly that in the service, every single person began to speak in tongues. I couldn't think. I couldn't pray. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I was more confused than I was not edified. For sure I wasn't edified because I couldn't understand what was happening. And then I understand what Paul meant in Corinthians chapter 14, that if somebody came into the service and everybody spoke in tongues, they would say, you're mad. Because I felt that that was not the design of tongues, and it was not the way to practice tongues because of what we had taught in what it's taught in Corinthians chapter fourteen. So it does create um, a level of confusion, and that's why there needs to be some clarity on this matter, uh, so that uh, people are not um, desiring or seeking uh, a minor gift. Uh, Paul will tell you later on in, in Corinthians that you seek gifts that edify. 
That is to build the believer, comfort the believer, encourage the believer. But Paul will also point out that if a person doesn't understand, it cannot edify. Edification is linked with the mental process of comprehending and understanding. And uh, Paul would emphasize in chapter 14 of Corinthians that the key factor in the use of any gift within the church, it is not for personal edification, it's for public edification of the body of Christ. And that's where the, the, the gift of tongues or the use of tongues as it is today doesn't make any sense to me. I see no, no purpose whatsoever. I don't see anybody being saved by it because they can't understand what is being said in the first case. I don't see any Christian being edified by it because you cannot be edified unless your mind can comprehend what what the truth is. Uh, And I think this is why we should be concerned about it. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. And the voice that you're hearing is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. We have a caller from Antigua. Go ahead with your question for Pastor Murphy. Um, I just want to find out if the devil does talk to people. And I know, read uh, a text in Second Corinthians, I think chapter 12. Uh-huh. He's talking about, where Paul, I think it's Paul, he's talking about um, the front, the tone he had a tone in the flesh, a, self, a servant of Satan to buffet him. Uh-huh. If you, could you explain this and... Let me know if the devil harass people and talk to people and use scripture and so to people. Because I have a, a talking in my head for um, since 2012, somewhere around there, and I've been having a harassment. And I used to go to a church. This Well, I visited different churches, but before I used to be an Adventist, and uh, a lot of things been happening to me. And it's like sometimes God is speaking to me to come to him, and then this thing harassed me all day. And I, I wonder sometimes if God bother people and about fasting. I don't understand about if God bother people to fast and what people fast for. Thank you very much for your question. And Pastor Murphy, what do you have? Uh, I would say to you that... Um, it is possible for the enemy to inject thoughts into your mind. I know that from the occasion with David in the book of uh, Kings and Chronicles. It is said that David numbered the people. And then we are told in the book of Chronicles that Satan moved David to number the people. So there's no question that there's a possibility of injecting thoughts into a person's mind. Uh, but I would be very careful if I were you. If I'm hearing voices... Uh, I'm not too sure what that voice is saying to you. But if God is speaking to you, uh, it will be not about destruction. Uh, it would be about getting your life right with Him, um, uh, um, finding your way to God, etc., etc. Um, maybe even working on your prayer life, whatever it is. But if you're constantly hearing um, voices that uh, are disturbing you in the sense that it is not giving you peace, uh, I would be very reluctant to equate that voice with God. And I don't know what what triggered the event from 2012 that you're still hearing these voices. Um, so I really don't know your whole situation. What I would say that if you are still hearing these voices, I think you need to um, get your pastor and request that he and maybe some of the members uh, surround you in prayer and intercession and get a prayer team that would be lifting you up in prayer in this matter. But I also think that he needs to delve a little bit more to find out when this first this thing began, is there a, a root cause of it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So not knowing your full history and understanding your religious background and your associations, 
I am very concerned when people go into a church and people call you forward and uh, they lay their hands on you and they're supposed to have some spiritual gift. I want to warn you that that is not a practice that I would encourage you to do. There is something called transference. Those that deed in, in occult uh, activities, uh, they transfer their, uh, whatever they're engaged in can transfer to you. So you've got to be very, very careful about those kind of... And listen, I, I don't want to sound skeptical and, and sound as though I'm trying to tear down churches, etc., etc. But there's a lot going on in, in the modern church that is no doubt satanic. No question about that. And this is the part of the deception the Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 24. You go there, and Christ warns four different times that the end time will be marked by deception. He goes so far to say that, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And then you go into Corinthians, uh, Timothy chapter 4. Paul talks about the doctrine of demons that will in, in, invade the church. So it, it, this is not, I'm not speaking something that is contrary to Scripture. And I think because we realize that we are close to the end times, we need to be very careful about these different practices going on in the church. Um, so I would say to you, it is possible that the enemy could put an idea in your mind, but if what you're hearing in your head is disturbing your peace and it's not conducive to your spiritual life in terms of building you up and encouraging you to walk in faith and trust in Christ, uh, you may be demonized in the sense that, not that you're possessed, but you may have demonic forces trying to invade your life, and that's where you need to have some kind of uh, spiritual security in terms of prayer and intercession on behalf of the church and the pastor. But I would I would suggest that um, the pastor speak to the pastor and uh, explain to him what is happening and request prayer, even if it, you, you encircle you in the church and pray over you. But I, if this keeps on going on, you need to really seek help in this regard because uh, I hope you don't have a mental problem as well because sometimes these things run in families. So I don't know your family history. Um, I I have a pastor friend in one of the islands that there is a mental issue that runs in the family that of his, his his wife, for example, and he's had to learn to deal with that. But that's a medical condition. Uh, would walk away and do certain things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that can be dealt with a drug. So once it can be dealt with a drugs, you know it's not a, a not a, a, a demonic problem. Uh, if this medication can solve the problem, so there is a mental problem there. So I don't know, madam. Not suggesting that you have, but uh, I would need to know a little bit more background in, in, as far as that. As far as Paul is concerned with the thorn, uh, again, this is an impediment that was given to Paul to humble Paul. Remember, Paul had revelations in, in Corinthians chapter 12, and he said, lest I be elevated above measure. Paul has seen things and heard things that could not even be uttered. And Paul, uh, um, coming out of his background, um, Pharisee of the Pharisees, belonged to the tribe of Benjamin, that's the first king that came out of that tribe, he was a naturally proud man. And after he became a Christian, uh, our problems and our, our weaknesses are not eradicated. We still carry them over in the Christian life, but they need to be controlled and regulated and, and mastered. And God saw fit to give Paul this particular thorn in the flesh. We're not told what it is, but it certainly discomforted Paul because the expression thorn in the flesh suggests that it was tremendous discomfort and Paul felt he needed to intercede and they asked the Lord three times and the Lord told him, Paul, no. But then Paul said, my, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. So 
I don't think you should equate what Paul experienced with what you're currently uh, going through. But I do feel that you need to seek some serious help if this is recurring and recurring, especially at night, if you find you can't sleep, you're hearing these kind of voices, uh, I think it's a matter for you to really, really seek some help in that regard. I hope I've helped, I've helped you a little bit. And if you need to talk further, uh, you know, or you want to visit our church just to talk with me or, or you want me to come and visit your home, I'm not trying to pull you away from your church. That's not what I'm saying. But if I can with any help, uh, I would be more than willing to sit and talk with you and even pray with you. And I can also put you in contact with some godly ladies in our church who have a particular ministry in that area, which I think would be very helpful to you. You're listening to That's Truth with Pastor Dr. David Murphy, and we're on the topic of tongues. Pastor Murphy, do you have anything else you want to say about Acts chapter 2 before we look at 1 Corinthians? Well, I really would have liked to have traced the whole chapter and go through the whole chapter um, with the audience. But of course, that, that would take considerable time. What I would say that when you look at the chapter, uh, Peter gives you an explanation of what happens. Then Peter, in verses 14 to 21, he gives you the interpretation. And he explains again and again that what concerned the people there is that they heard the disciples speak in the languages that they understood. And then in verses 22 to verse 35, he draws the application. And they said they'd heard the wonderful things, works of God. And then Peter explains in those verses, in, in verse 22, he talks about our Lord's incarnation. In verse 23, he talks about our Lord's death. And then in verse 24, he talks about the Lord's resurrection. And then he, he points out clearly that there's a prophecy about our Lord's resurrection. It didn't have any reference to David. And then he gives the details of our Lord's exaltation in verses 33. Verses 33 uh, talks about he exalted the position um, at God's right hand. And then he, in that exalted, now pours out the Spirit. For example, look at verse um, chapter 2, verse 33. Peter said, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. So what took place at Pentecost could not have taken place until Christ has ascended and received the gift, the promise of the Spirit. And now he, sitting at God's right hand and being head of the church, having all authority and all power, he's the one that now sends the Holy Spirit to do his baptizing work. But notice that it all comes back to the work of Christ, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his session in heaven, and now he himself uh, sending down uh, the, the Holy Spirit. And then it's interesting that uh, what the conclusion that Peter gives in verse number 36. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God have made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he sums up and says, Look, all that has happened on the day of Pentecost, all that you've heard and seen, these wonderful works of God, it is Christocentric. It is salvific. It has to do with salvation. And in his ascendant position, he now sends the promise of the Holy Spirit to, uh, that baptizes all believers into the body of Christ. So it all about, it's all about him. And it, was all, uh, it all has to do with uh, a sign gift to unbelievers, especially unbelieving Jews, uh, to confirm that this 
what would be perceived as this new doctrine, this new teaching, this new gospel, this new dispensation, was actually authentic and real and had the divine sanction of God on it. That's basically what tongues is all about. Would you say that the end days started in at Pentecost? Because in verse 17 it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit. And he's quoting from, is it Joel? Uh, yeah, he quotes from Joel. Well, there are other passages that um, will talk about the last days, but the last days really began from the time of Christ's death and resurrection. That is when the, this final dispensation began. That's when the last days began. I, I want to just point to the uh, the listener to the effects of what took place on Pentecost for just mm-hmm. a moment, because that's not the effect that we're seeing within the modern church. Okay, look what happened in in verse um, chapter three, verse thirty-seven, and verse thirty-four. Uh, we're told in verse thirty-seven, and when they heard these things, they were pricked in their hearts. So the events of Acts chapter two, which was designed for unbelievers with the sign gift of tongues designed to authenticate the message. Notice that there was conviction. That's not what's happening in the church today when you see tongues being displayed. It is pandemonium. Nobody understands what is being said. Uh, so clearly there's a distinction here. And then uh, it, that conviction led to concern. And uh, They were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They're under so much conviction that they want to know <coughs> what further steps <coughs> need to be taken. And then the counsel that is given in verse number 38 is that Peter says, Repent, be baptized, that you might receive the Holy Spirit. And he reassures them that the promise of God is, is, upon, is, is for them. He says in verse, um, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall be call, shall call. And verse 38, and Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's not only conviction and, and, and that create, create this concern, and, and Peter, Peter counsels them. And then in verse 41, we get the results. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day they were added to the church, about 3,000. So there was conversion as a result. I, I'm, I'm just saying to you, when you contrast the effects of the day of Pentecost, that clearly it was a salvific message, the wonderful works of God about the, the incarnation, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It led to the conviction, and that led to people's conversion. That is the purpose of tongues. It has a salvific purpose. It's designed for the purpose of evangelism. And I remember when Nathan asked me a question last time about the possibility of the Never, never learning a language and find yourself say, in a different part of the world that speaks a language the possibility of God granting that gift and I pointed out to you that we can't box in God if God saw the, that, that particular language group needed the gospel and you didn't have the capacity and God of his own sovereignty were to give you that gift you would be able to speak the wonderful works of God in that language and they would have understood you that's what the whole thing is about it's not about um, feeling good and having emotions and having an, uh, um, um, going through some kind of a hysteria and developing like an ego that is so massive that you think you've got something superior to other believers. Uh, it really has to have a salvific purpose. Did that message of this of salvation continue? <clears throat> 
even into the the time period of Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians fourteen, First Corinthians thirteen, when the Apostle Paul is writing about the topic of tongues, was it still that same message of salvation? Well, when you come now to Corinthians chapter um, fourteen, you've got a, a period after Acts chapter two, and uh, you've got to find out now again what's the relationship between Acts chapter two and Corinthians chapter 14. If Acts chapter 2, where we, up, we take the first mentioned principle of interpretation, that, that that lays the context for understanding the purpose and the use of tongues. Now, you've come to Corinthians chapter 14, and you see the Apostle Paul is greatly concerned because this is a church that is practicing all kinds of abuses. This church is marked not for its spirituality, it's a church marked for its carnality. It has become enamored with the fact that this is a spectacular gift that seems to suggest that there's something unusual and supernatural about it. And they are taking this particular gift, and it's the abuse of the gift that Paul addresses in chapter 14. Uh, He has to call them back to what was the original intent of the gift. Because some of them are saying, you know, I, I can use this gift to pray in the Spirit. And uh, I, can, I, I can edify myself within the congregation. The Apostle Paul in chapter 14 will point out very clearly that every single gift that God gives is designed for the edification of the church. It's not for any private use. So in, in a very real sense, he is discountenancing the idea that, uh, you know, I, I may not have the right to use the gift in the congregation, but there's nothing wrong with me using it in private. Uh, Paul is going to point out again very clearly that that is not the purpose of the gift. And he creates a hypothetical situation, and he's putting himself into the mind of the Corinthians and trying to think how they would think and how they would respond. So when you read Corinthians chapter 14, and you're just reading on the surface, you're missing the whole context of what Paul is doing. He's trying to address the abuse of a matter, and he's trying to put his his thoughts into the framework of the Corinthians, how the Corinthians are thinking, and he's responding to how he perceived that they're thinking. Uh, And this is where, if you come to Corinthians chapter 14 now, um, Paul begins to bring some clarity to this matter as far as the abuse of the gift. So let's turn to chapter 14 for just a minute. Let, let's pick up that uh, chapter and see if we can bring some clarity uh, to people's mind uh, on this subject. Um, let's just do a verse by verse and see how far we can get in this chapter. Uh, you notice in verse 1 he said, Follow after charity and uh, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. And then he said, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue. By the way, the word unknown is an unfortunate uh, imposition. That word unknown is not in the la- language, the Greek language is not there. It's something that was placed there. You would notice that's in italics. Uh, and again, uh, people taking this uh, as it is and not um, understanding that that word unknown does not exist. Every time you see that word unknown in Corinthians, uh, really, it doesn't belong there. It's unfortunate that the translators put it in there, but it's not there. So what Paul is saying, For he that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now again, I, I, I mentioned to you that the Apostle Paul is putting it, put in his mind 
uh, into the, f- the mental framework of the Corinthian church. And basically what he's suggesting here, that those who are speaking in tongues, um, if they're speaking in tongues as a legitimate expression of tongues, and they're speaking in the church, and it's not being understood in the church, the Apostle Paul is assuming that this here would be understood by God alone. He's not endorsing it. That's the thing I want to point out to you. He's not endorsing it. He's just speaking by way of conjecture, and he's using a hypothetical situation. If, 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 okay, you're speaking in tongues, and your excuse is, well, I'm speaking to God. Uh, that's the idea that is being conveyed here. So, uh, so p- p- granted that that is true, that a person is saying, you know, um, well, Pastor, uh, nobody in the church understands what I'm saying, but uh, I am being edified and being blessed because God is understanding me. Let's suppose that is true. That's an assumption that Paul takes on. He said, but in verse 3, But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation. He's trying to contrast the use of tongues which does not edify anybody save the individual who believes they're being edified. And he's saying that the, the gift of prophecy, which is to be able to communicate directly what God has revealed in a language that people understand. Paul is saying it serves the purpose of edification. It builds up the person. Um, he said it's also served the purpose of exhortation, that is encourage others. And then he said it also comforts. And this has to do especially when times of bereavement or people are going through a sorrowful situation. So Paul is, is drawing the fact that the, the gift of prophecy is far superior to the gift of tongues. And uh, he's showing that it is not something that is self-centered. It's ministering to others. That's the thing you've got to get. And then in verse number four, he says, He that speaketh in a, again, take that word unknown. He that speaketh in a tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesieth edifies the church. And that's the point. The person who is claiming that tongues serves a purpose, Paul is saying that when you when you use it in the church, it doesn't edify anybody. The person is claiming that it edifies themselves. But Paul is pointing out that that's not the purpose of the gift. It's the gift of prophecy that edifies the church. We'll come later on, you'll see that that's the whole emphasis of this chapter. It's about edifying the church and not about self-edification because there, I've met people who have told me that, you know, I don't speak in tongues in the church, but I speak with it in private. And my point is you've missed the whole, what the whole chapter is about. That any gift that God gives you is for the edification of the church and not for the individual. It's always focused on the... The, the corporate entity, the believers, is never about self. And then if you go down in um, verse number five, I would say, I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive. And again, this is Paul's point. Um, if you had a church, everybody spoke in tongues, but you have some, somebody to interpret what we're saying. Paul said, I would, I, I, that I would be glad for that to happen. But because that doesn't happen, uh, Paul points out in, in the same verse that um, um, he says, For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edification. So again, the key thing here is edification. Not edification of self the edification of the church. And so Paul is showing the superiority. He said, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking in with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you even by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. And even things without... Uh, then he will use some illustration. But here's Paul's point. 
if I uh, meet you or I come to you and I'm, I'm coming to preach at your church and I begin to speak in tongues, you don't understand me. Nobody understands me. Paul is saying, what's the use of it? Except I come into the church to minister to you and I minister by way of knowledge or by prophecy or by doctrine. I don't edify you. I don't build you up. Everything that Paul has said up to here is to discourage the idea that I must exercise the use of tongues in the church. And, and Paul is saying it has no edificational f- uh, factor in it. It doesn't benefit the church. So you don't need to exercise that kind of a gift because it serves no purpose of edification. And then Paul will go on later on and he'll use some illustrations of musical instruments that uh, basically he talks about the harp and the flute that unless they give a distinct uh, song or note, you don't know what it is. It may be a cacophony of noise that nobody understands. I mean, there must be harmony and order and rhythm and sequence in, in, in a musical piece in order to comprehend the message. So he uses an illustration uh, to discuss that. He says, So likewise in verse 9, except uh, we utter by tongue words easy to understand and understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? for we speak into the ear. In other words, it serves no purpose. It is like, um, has no edificational value. Uh, It is empty speech. So that is what Paul is saying here. And then in verse 10, he says, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, but none of them have without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh unto me a barbarian unto me. Even so, Ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel again to what? To the edification. I don't how know anybody can read a passage like this without understanding that Paul is demeaning the exercise of the childish carnal gift of tongues that nobody benefits from, nobody understands. And Paul is laying the emphasis on using gifts that edify the body of Christ. That is so clear in this passage. And then, he says in verse 13, Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue, uh, and again, take the word unknown out of there, pray that he may interpret. So if a man says, now I have the gift of, of tongues, the Apostle Paul says, listen, because the, the need is for edifying the body of Christ, that person that have that gift should pray that the Lord will help them to have the gift of interpretation so that whatever is revealed, they may now interpret to others so that they may benefit. Again, it comes back to the emphasis. The key thing in the church is edification, building up the believers, and you cannot edify unless you understand uh, biblical truth. Only truth can transform you, and you, can only, you have to comprehend that truth and appropriate that truth for transformation to take place. So there can be no edification. If a person came and met me and was speaking German, and he was speaking the gospel in German, and I don't have a clue of any German, what he's saying makes absolute... I can't benefit from that. And Paul wants us... And then in verse 14, this is the key verse. For if I pray in an, a tongue... My spirit prayeth. Isn't that proof that we should be praying in tongues, though? No. Again, this is conjecture, hypothetical. Okay. Hypothetical. Again, as I pointed out to you, that Paul is building a hypothetical case. Paul is not in Corinth. You've gotten news that there's pandemonium in the church. There's all this kind of disorder, total confusion. Uh, And I should have probably laid the foundation that within this church, 
you not only have the abuse of gifts, but you have immorality. You have brothers taking brothers to court. You've got uh, believers jumping out of marriage because they're married to an unsafe person. They want to get into a bad situation. They want to jump ship, jettison the relationship, start a new one. Paul has to correct all of these carnal uh, things that are going on within the church. And to add insult to injury, they're pretending a level of spirituality they don't possess. Because they're claiming they're speaking tongues, and Paul points out in chapter 12, but it's the least of all the gifts. So, how can you be mature and spiritual when you are uh, fighting each other and trying to outdo each other with all kinds of braggadocio uh, to try to outperform, as it were? Uh, this is the type of confusion that Paul finds, and he's trying to rectify that confusion by laying down biblical principles uh, to help the church in that regard. But you notice that he talks about, uh, for if I pray in my spirit, uh, the reader has asked the question, I think in verse number two, uh, for he that speaketh in a, in, a, in, a, in a tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God, for no man understandeth, uh, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. There are some people who take that to mean that they're praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go to verse number 14, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'm praying in my spirit. So this is not exercising the gift and praying, there's not a Holy Spirit language that people are saying that when you speak in tongues, the, the Holy Spirit understands the language, and therefore He's able to translate that, and God understands. If you go back to Romans chapter 8, we're talking about the Holy Spirit interceding for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, cannot be comprehended, right? So, uh, this is not a, a spiritual code language that is given when it comes to speaking in tongues. It's an actual language, a human language. Uh, but if it's exercised in the church and there's an interpreter who can interpret that language, then the believer benefits. If it doesn't, it doesn't benefit. Uh, and if we go down later, uh, we see Paul's preference. He says in verse number 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And remember that Paul was bilingual. You remember in the book of Acts, when he was before the Jews, Paul would normally speak the, the Greek language, but then he began to speak with them in Hebrew. He said, are you then a Hebrew? See, So Paul is bilingual, uh, so he had that capacity. And then he said in verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues. And then in verse 18, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding, uh, that my voice, that by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, compare Paul's maturity and Paul's preference Understand what Paul is saying. When I, we meet and we congregate as a body, Paul is saying, I want to communicate truth, and I want to edify the saints. And, and Paul is saying, I, I, I would rather speak five words where people understand me than 10,000 words that nobody understands. Now, that is maturity. That's a huge comparison. Oh, real comparison. And that's why I say that it's of concern to us why this gift has been elevated to such prominence. Uh, and, and people seem to ignore the teaching that Paul gives in the passage. Uh, I wish we, I wish we could spend some more time on it, but I want to uh, finish up on that uh, chapter uh, by looking at the guidelines that the Apostle Paul gives. Uh, final stages as far okay. One thing I must say about Paul in this in, in this matter with tongues. Paul has never said that you should ban tongues from from the church. That's one thing you've got to say that Paul has never endorsed that. Uh, but we have to be discerning. And if today uh, by it is said that, you know, people have this gift, okay, 
uh, we need to find out then if this gift is exercised, how it's to be exercised. And then Paul says to them exactly how to use the gift. He says, um, how be it burning when you come together? Everyone, you have a psalm, have a doctrine, have a tongue, have a revelation, have an interpretation. Let things be done to edifying. So whatever is done in the church, Paul is saying, it must be for the purpose of edification. Tongues do not edify. So therefore, unless there's an interpreter, it has no no domain, no proper place within the, uh, the, the church. He said, if any man speak in a tongue, let it be by two or at least three. So there must be an order. Not everybody should be speaking in tongues if they're going to legitimately allow it within the church. Two or three. And then Paul goes on to say in the, in the same passage, um, and, the most, and that by course and that by sequence, it cannot be two and three people speaking at the same time. It must be, okay, we've got three brethren who are going to, who are going to speak in tongues. We've got the interpreter. Brother, you speak. Tell us what the Lord has told you. Brother, you interpret. None of that is happening in the modern church. That's where the confusion lies. Thank you for that information, Pastor. Be sure that you tune in next week here on That's Truth. We're going to be discussing a very practical question that is coming up very often in the news, and that's the topic of suicide. Stay tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, and be sure you tune in next Tuesday evening for That's Truth. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.